Our scripture reading this morning is from Luke uh, chapter 24, uh, beginning in verses 1 through 12. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise? And they remembered his words, and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who had told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stopping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves. And he went home marveling at what had happened. This is the word of the Lord. So we begin this morning. I want you to think for just a second about uh, a time in your life. This isn't the most uplifting way to start, but uh, I do have a point here. But just think of a time of of really of a shock or letdown, maybe severe disappointment in your life. I know. Uh, for each of us, that would be maybe different things, but you can think of a time when there's just something that really floored you. Uh, the way I would describe it is like you've been punched in the gut and you don't know what happened and you're just overwhelmed by it. And, and I want you just to think about uh, a time like that and just, just think about that feeling and what that's like for just a second and just let that kind of rest on you for a minute. Because as we begin today and as we go back into our series on the overview of Scripture and where we're going, last week we ended with Jesus on the cross in the end of, of Mark uh, chapter 16 as he bowed his head and he cried out, it is finished, and he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. And, and as we talked about that last week, we talked about what really happened on the cross as, as Jesus took on the sins of all those that have put their faith in him and, and bore God's wrath and how he defeated that. He took that for us and, and paved the way that we could be welcomed back to God. And that was the reality of what was happening. But I bring up the, the punched in the gut feeling because when we stopped last week, we were focused on what was happening with Christ and what happened on the cross. But what we really didn't spend much time with is his followers and those around them and what it looked like to them, because what they saw was not a wonderful victory. They saw the ultimate defeat. And so as I talk about that feeling, when you just feel like you don't know what just happened and the shock of it, that that that's really where we're ended for Jesus's followers last week. That's that's what was going on, because as they took Jesus down off the cross and they took him that afternoon, that Friday afternoon, and they laid him in the grave and everybody went off on their way. And it would have been absolute shock. It would have been disbelief and and just crushed. And how could this happen? This was the Messiah. This is the one they followed. This is the one they had seen so many wonders and miracles. And then all of a sudden he's dead. And nobody knows what just happened or what's going on. And so what happens in in Scripture, what we see is over the next 
40 some odd hours, that's what's going on. You go from Friday at 3 p.m. in the afternoon as Jesus gives up his spirit and dies till uh, Sabbath. The next day on Saturday, nothing's really going on. And then not till Sunday morning is the tomb discovered that we just read in Luke, the beginning of Luke chapter 24. But in those hours in between, it's this weight of what in the world just happened. And so this morning, I wanted us just to think about that a little bit because we didn't spend much time on all those around last week as we were focused on what was happening on the cross. But that's what's going on with the followers. They can't even make ends out of this. They're struggling to figure it out in the bewilderment. And so what happens, though, as we read and Chris read for us just a minute ago, is they they do go to the tomb. And after dealing with all this and the ladies go to prepare the body for burial on Sunday morning and they get there and he's not there. And still bewilderment and still not sure what's going on and trying to make ends out of it. And and the angels are there and they tell him that he's risen and they're still struggling with this. And so the word slowly starts to get out. And and if you read on in Luke's gospel, and I'm just say this, we're going to be at the end of Luke's gospel today, the last 20 verses. But you go from this scene at the tomb until right after that, uh, Luke records for us two of uh, Jesus's disciples walking from the road on the road to Emmaus. Uh, from Jerusalem, it's about a seven mile stretch and they're walking along and Jesus joins them and starts talking. And he says, what are you guys talking about? And they go, where have you been? Haven't you heard about Jesus of Nazareth? And they start to tell him. And so Jesus starts to tell them everything. And what scripture tells us is they don't recognize him, that he's kind of hidden himself from them and they don't know it's him. And he's telling them and he's explaining to them and it's starting to dawn on them. And then they stop to eat. And then Jesus reveals who they are, who he is to these two disciples And they're overwhelmed and they're not sure what to make of this. And so they run back to tell the disciples. And that's where we begin this morning at the end of Luke chapter 24. And so I just want us to be thinking a little bit about what what it would be like and then to go from one extreme to the other. Here's this awful thing that you can't make ends of. And then all of a sudden you're about to find out it's not what you thought it was. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. And if you want to follow along in a Bible like this, we have these throughout the sanctuary. And we're going to be on page 575 of that if you'd like to follow along with me. So we're going to read from Luke chapter 24, starting in verse 33. And it says, and they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those that were with them gathered together, saying, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. And as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you have have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. That everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. 
You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I'm sending the promise of my father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Then he led them out as far as Bethany and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshiped and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continue continually in the temple blessing God. Let's pray and then we're going to look at those last verses of Luke together. Lord, we thank you for your word and we thank you for uh, what happened uh, at the resurrection and what it means for us. We pray that you would impress that upon our hearts and our minds today. We ask that your spirit would move in this place, that you would open these words to apply them to us. We just confess that without you doing so, that we're hopelessly lost and we need you here and in that way to do that. So we ask that you would show us what you would have for us today and that we would leave here having drawn closer to you and and seen more clearly who you are and the way that you love us. We thank you for all you've done for us and we pray it in Jesus name. Amen. So today we're, we're simply looking at, at the resurrection as we've gotten to the big idea in the story and we've come and we've come all the way through and now here we are on the day of the resurrection and we're going to think a little bit about what that means. As I pointed out the last couple of weeks, we've been putting just kind of a real basic outline in your bulletin if you want to follow along and if you look at that, you'll see the three things that we're really looking at this morning and the way I want to look at it is just like this, the resurrection and what we're talking about and so we're going to say resurrection past. How does it connect to everything that we've been talking about? Second, the the resurrection, the present. What does it mean at this moment when we see that Jesus is alive or when we as believers understand the resurrection? What happens at that moment? And then lastly, the future. So past, present, future and the future. Now, how do we live and how do we go forth based on what the resurrection means? And so that's the way we're going to go at it. So we're going to start with. Resurrection past to begin with and and to begin there, I want us to look at verses 44 and 45 and that's where we're going to start. And and as we we jump into these verses, we see Jesus come and all of a sudden he's there and he says peace and he says I'm here and it's me. And then he, he gets a snack and then he immediately goes into this in verse 44 and 45. And then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the scripture. And so when we talk about what the resurrection means past, how it connects to everything we see, we see Jesus show up. And one of the very first things he does is he begins to explain to them how everything that's come before was coming to this, was pointing to this. And in a way, I start to think about what we've been doing over the past year and we've been moving through scripture and working our way through and looking at all these passages in the Old Testament and all these things and how they're moving towards Christ. In a lot of ways, that's what Jesus does with them on that afternoon or that evening of the resurrection. He begins to tell them and he begins to show them and he starts to point to all the things that are. He starts to connect the dots. And as I was thinking about that and, and, and Jesus teaching and telling them this is the greatest Bible study ever in the history of the world as Jesus begins to open the scriptures and show them all these things that they were so missing. And he starts to point them out and bring them. And I was I was thinking of as we move through this year, we spent so many times on on different passages and how they moved towards Jesus and and how they pointed to him. And, and we go all the way back to Genesis three fifteen. The very first gospel is 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 a. Uh, God speaks to the serpent and he says, I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman, but in her seed is going to come one that's going to crush your head. 
And I think about Jesus opening the scriptures and showing them Genesis 3.15 and saying, you see that? That's what I just did on the cross. That's what just happened. I just crushed Satan and the, the foundations of evil. And that was talking about me. Or, or maybe he goes to Genesis 12 and he says, oh, the promise to Abraham. And I'm going to bless the world, Abraham, through your seed. And Jesus says, uh, that's me. That's me on the cross. I just did that. I just opened the way for all people to come back to God through what I did. Or maybe he took them to Isaiah 53 and pointed out the suffering servant who would suffer for the iniquities of the people. And he says, that was me on the cross. And I did that. Or, or Psalm 22. Or, or he could have taken them to Second Samuel 7 that we looked at a while back of the promises to David. And how David will have a descendant that will be on the throne forever. And he says, I just defeated death. And I'm reigning over everything, that everlasting king that's come, that's me. And he could take them through passage after passage, whether Jeremiah 31 or 32 or Daniel 7 or Malachi 4 and the son of righteousness and just go through all of them and say, all of that is about me and what I've just done. And you think about that scene and what would it be like as they're sitting there and listening to Jesus and showing and he's starting to show, show them all the things that they couldn't quite grasp and they weren't getting. And as I thought about him walking them through and just saying all those things and this is about me and this is how it came together. To be honest, I, I thought of my, my grandfather. My grandfather was an architect in East Texas. And uh, he built lots and lots of buildings in the town where he lived. And he, he did it for many, many years. And then as I was his firstborn grandson, I decided to go to Texas A&M where my grandfather went. And where he was a professor after he retired. And I used to go in the summers and I'd go and we'd drive around uh, the town where he lived and where he practiced his whole life. And he'd drive me around and he'd say, you see that building right there? And he'd point his finger and say, I built that. And then we'd turn the corner and he'd say, I built that and I built that. And, I built, and he'd take me all around and he'd show me all these buildings. And I remember my grandfather, the way he'd tell you all the things and he'd say it. And, and I thought about that and I, and I just think of Jesus opening the scriptures and saying, I built that. Not only did I build that, I wrote that and I planned that. And then I purchased that. And I completed that and I fulfilled that and going straight through all the way through and them just being overwhelmed of what Jesus is showing them. The, the weight of that to go from the crushing disappointment of what's happening and not understanding to Jesus going, no, no, no. This has always been the plan. And let me show you. Let me show you how it was always coming to this. And so as we just think about what that means, just a, a little aside for us as we think about as we've walked through the Old Testament this year and as we get to those things and we stop and we go through all these Old Testament passages and then we say, oh, and by the way, this points to Jesus this way. That's why we do that. That's why we do Christ-centered exposition and all throughout Scripture because that's what Jesus says. It all points to me. It all comes back to what I came to do. And so as we just consider the resurrection past, what it connects to, I want us just to see so clearly that all of this was moving to this. It was all pointing to this. All of Scripture is breathed out by God and all of it is profitable and all of it points us ahead to Jesus and what would come in the fulfillment at the resurrection. So that's the first part, the past part. Let's move to the present part. Look at verses 46 and 47 is what Jesus says next. So he opened their minds to understand the scripture in verse 45. 
And then verse 46, he said to them, thus it is written that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. And so we say very simply and very directly when we talk about presently what it means that Jesus is resurrected from the dead is simply that this is good news this is the greatest news there's ever been. And, and I want us to think just very practically think about what happened in the resurrection and what it means that Jesus comes back from the dead. If you go all the way back to Genesis three, Adam and Eve sin, they ignore God and the world he created and they decide to turn from him. And so what happens is God says, well, what's going to now happen is you're going to die. He had warned, he told them that before. And then he says, that's the case. Now death is the end of this. See that all the way through scripture, you get to Romans six, the wages of sin is death. But when we see that Jesus is now risen from the dead, what that simply means is that God, uh, there's been a way made. So it's no longer the wages of sin has to be death. A sacrifice has been made that now gives us an escape route. It gives us a way through. Uh, I don't remember. I wish I had it written down on who I'd heard said it. But years ago, I heard somebody say it this way, that when Jesus rose from the dead, he blew a hole in the back of death. And now we can walk through. And so the picture of, of Jesus raising from the dead gives us this picture that the sacrifice has been accepted, that the wages of sin no longer have to be death, because that's what Paul says in Romans six. The wages of sin is death. But. The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And so the picture here of, of what it means presently when we see Jesus alive is that that's no longer has to be the end, that God's provided a way that that's not the ends. And so the good news of, of what it means now is that the sin problem has been answered, that our rebellion and the, the problem that entered the world the moment that we rebelled and we turned from God with Adam and Eve way back in Genesis three has now been fixed. And the promise that God immediately made that I'm going to come and I'm going to crush the head of the serpent it has now all come together. And so we have wonderful good news that that Jesus has come and he's prepared that and he's repaired that relationship and he's opened up the way in which we can now be presented to God and we can come directly to him. Oftentimes we stop right there and we say that and we leave it. But I, I, I want to just put forward the, the fullness of this and us to really be thinking about the fullness of it. Yes, that is all true. And that's the beauty of the gospel that by what Jesus did, did for us, we can now be restored to God just by putting our faith in him. That he's the only perfect sacrifice and it's only through him. But there's more to it. And oftentimes we stop right there, but there's more to it because God comes into the story and he raises from dead in the middle of time in his creation. And he's showing us even by undoing death, I'm going to redeem my whole creation. I'm not going to just pluck you out and let everything else go. I'm going to redeem the whole thing. And by coming at a time in history and in a place, he begins to show us, you know, Romans eight talks about how the world is groaning under the weight of sin. And it is and it still is. And there's still problems and they're still falling apart. But when Jesus comes, God made his creation and he he uh, he said it is good. And then he made man as the only thing that's in his image. And, and there is a difference between man and other things where his image bears in his creation. But it's his good creation. And he's going to redeem the whole thing. 
And so by coming into the story and into it and starting to show how it's being undone, it points us ahead to what he's going to do. And so the present reality of what it means at the resurrection is, yes, we've been restored to God, but it also means things are different now. Something's changing. Something's different that God's come in and he's he's set uh, he's he's stopped that and he's reset it. And so I want us just to think about that as we move to the last part of of what about the future? How do we move forward? And that's where we're going to spend most of our time this morning. But that present reality is that we can be reconciled to God. The past is that this was always the plan. But then what do we look at when we talk about the future and, and what does it all mean and and how do we go forth in this and so if if evil and the problems have been dealt with and God's wrath has been uh, fixed for those in Christ, it's been taken care of. Jesus bore it for us. So what do we do now? How do we go forward? What's the next step? Look at verses 46 to 48 and what Jesus said. We're backtracking a little just so we get the fullness here of what he says. But and he said to them, it is written that Christ should suffer And on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in the name in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. And then verse 48, you are witnesses of these things. And so things are different now because Jesus is raised from the dead. It deals. He has dealt with completely and totally the problem in our lives, which is our separation from God because of our sin. And so now things are completely different, very different. And he says, and, and now that that's happened and now that's the case and things are different, he says that you should uh, now it needs to be proclaimed of what I've done and what's happened. And then he says, you are witnesses to these things. And as I thought about that, as, as you become a Christian, and you put your faith in Christ and you receive the Holy Spirit and you understand what God's done for you and that starts to take root in your life, you realize that something's very, very different. And you are now a witness to how different things actually are. And so Jesus says here as he talks about it that as as the gospel takes root and you see the reality of what's happened to you, that your job is now to be witnesses of these things and to go forth and to proclaim what God has done in Jesus. And so when we start to move forward about what that means, that's what Jesus says so clearly. That's where we go. That's what's next. And as I, as I thought about that, I kept coming back to, I was rereading a book on the, on the resurrection uh, that uh, Tom Wright wrote. And he's a New Testament scholar and he says things so well. And he, he says it this way. He says, if Jesus is raised... He's talking about what it means. He says, if Jesus is raised, then he is the Messiah and therefore he is the world's true Lord. If Jesus is raised, God's new creation has begun and we as his followers have a job to do. And then he says, if Jesus is raised, so we must act as heralds announcing his lordship to the entire world, making the kingdom his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And so what Wright says is. We have a job to do because the king has come and he's defeated evil and he's changed the power structure and he's made things completely different. So now get to work and start telling people. And what Wright's saying is the same thing that Jesus says. You're witnesses of these things. You see this now and I'm showing you how it all points to this and you're starting to understand as he talks to the disciples what has taken place and what happened. So now you're witnesses 
and go forth and begin to tell. And he says you're supposed to go and to do that. And when you read and you think about these things and you think about the, the picture of what Jesus, the way Jesus prays, as that quote kind of points us to, that uh, God, in the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, that God's kingdom is here and now we're, we're seeking to reveal it. See, oftentimes we say things like we want to go out and spread the gospel so, so God's kingdom expands. But that's, that's not really right. I think we get off just a little bit when we say it that way. The, the heart behind it is right. But, but really what we're doing is we're not expanding God's kingdom when we go forth. We're, we're revealing God's kingdom because he already reigns. Jesus is already on his throne and he's reigning over everything and nothing is out of his control and death is subject to him. And so when we go forth and we proclaim it, we're not changing his kingdom. We're just revealing it to more people and they're starting to see it and grasp it and it starts to go out. And so when we think about what that means to be, it's not on us to change it. It's just on us to go forth in obedience and proclaim what's already taken place. And oftentimes I think we miss that and it leads us to to kind of shrinking back. And so oftentimes we we miss it in different ways. One of the ways we we miss how the resurrection now means for us and how we go forward and and what it looks like is is we take it as it's just personal salvation. I'm good with God now, which that's true through Jesus. You're made right with God. He gives you his righteousness as a gift. But sometimes we can go, well, I'm good And I'm going to go to heaven and everything's all right. And so I'll just sit back and and wait. And that's not what scripture says. That's not what Jesus says right here. And when, when we slip into that kind of thinking, we miss so much of what the resurrection means and the way that God's chosen to use us and and the way he wants to bring us in. Now, I had a, another quote that's actually in your bulletin. It's also from N.T. Wright, and, and it just it went so well with this. And, and he says it this way. He says, to suppose we are saved for our own private benefit, for the restoration of our own relationship with God, vital though that is, and our eventual homecoming and peace in heaven, misleading though that is, is like a boy being given a baseball bat as a present and insisting that since it belongs to him, He must always and only play with it in private. And so what he's saying is when we get real comfortable and I'm saved and I'm going to heaven and I'm okay and I'm just going to sit back and hole up now, we're missing it. We're missing a huge part of what God wants to do and and wants to work through us and how he wants to reveal his kingdom and and, and the way he's charged us to go forward. and, And when we talk about what it means to be a follower of Jesus in light of the resurrection... It means going forth and proclaiming his kingdom. And the hard part is that is very much opposed in our world today. Our world is very much what you believe is fine for you. What I believe is what I believe. But let's just keep them there and you don't need to tell me anything. The problem is that's the opposite of what Christianity says. And that's the opposite of what Jesus tells us to do. And I want us just to think about why that is the case. If this is true and what Jesus has said, then it needs to be proclaimed to all people and all nations everywhere. You know, you think of different ways in which we talk about sin and and the sin problem you've often heard, or I have, I'm sure you've heard a lot of them, different little illustrations and different things. And I was trying to think of those and we talk about, uh, you know, in the news, just the last several years, there'll be every year or two, there'll be some kind of outbreak like 
bird flu or something like that and people will get sick and it'll be kind of a and I want you to think for just a second if that was the case that we found out some outbreak but it covered the globe and people were dying in the in the death the, the time was six months and suddenly it's covered the globe and and everybody's in trouble and they're they're all we're all going to die basically and they're working frantically to get a cure and to get an antidote for it and and there's rumors that maybe they have or maybe they haven't or, or you don't know. And one day you go to your mailbox and you open up your mailbox and it's a, it's a package that has the antidote in it. And you go and you take it. And as you take it, you immediately see uh, the, the effects of the disease are gone. You immediately feel better and the side effects are gone and you realize that it's working. So you give it to your family. And then you realize in your box there that you have enough for 5,000 more people. What would you do? You'd call all your friends and all your family and all your neighbors and you'd tell them. And you'd say, I've got the cure. We're going to be okay. It's going to be all right. And as I thought about that picture, friends, that's, that's the reality. That's not some hypothetical. That is the truth. God has made a way to be reconciled to him. Now go do it. Jesus says, do you understand what I've just done? Go tell people. And so many times we go, ah, oh, but they'll think I'm crazy. What if they laugh at me? Would you do that with the antidote if you knew they were dying? Of course not. You would tell them and you would look for ways and you'd go and you'd tell everybody you could tell, come over here, we've got to be happy to share it with you. I was thinking of, we read a book in our men's group on Sunday night just a while back and there was a quote in it that was so convicting and just saddening at the same time and it was by a man who's an atheist and he's he's a celebrity, I guess. He's kind of a... But anyway, it doesn't even matter who he is. But he, he uh, as an atheist, somebody asked him the question, does it offend you when Christians share their faith with you? Does that bother you when they come up and they tell you? And his, his response was, no, it doesn't bother me. He said, in fact, if they really believe what they say they believe, and this guy's saying, I don't believe it. But if you really believe that there's an eternal destiny apart from God that is hell or there's an eternally eternal destiny with him, that's heaven where everything is wonderful. And you really believe Jesus is the only way. This is when he then said, he said, how much would you have to hate me not to tell me? And that's from somebody that doesn't even get it. Somebody that doesn't even know Jesus the way that if you've come to faith in him, you know, Jesus and he says, how could you not tell me? And he says, so I'm not offended at all. I would expect that you would have to. And so many times we just kind of brush that aside and we stay to ourselves and we think, oh, I don't know what to say or I don't know how to do it or what the answer is. But I want you to look at what Jesus says here because he gives us how you do it. And the answer to any objection we have, verse 49 says, and behold, I'm sending the promise of my father upon you, but stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. And as we'll see next week, as we move into Acts, what Jesus is talking about, but we know already from earlier in John's gospel, what Jesus is talking about and what he's talking about is the Holy Spirit. 
And in fact, in John's gospel, Jesus says, it's going to be better for you that I go away because then I'm going to send you the spirit and I'm going to dwell inside of you. I'm not just going to be walking along with you. I'm going to live within you and I'm going to empower you to do things and to spread my gospel and to to go forth and to proclaim it. And so when we have those objections, Jesus answers it right there. Go forth and do this. And by the way, my spirit's going to give you the power to do it. It's almost like as we start to object, but I don't know what to, it's okay, my, my spirit's going to be inside of you. I'm going to be working in you. And so as we think about just what that means and, and going forth and announcing the kingdom, there's one last part I don't want us to miss. Of, of As we go forth and we proclaim what Christ has done and we get in to announce it, I don't want us to miss that it's not just announcing, but it's also starting to live it and to see it come to fruition and, and start to take root in us and around us. And so when you see in verse 39 to 43 here and, and, and Jesus is there and they're all, it says they're troubled in verse 38 and 39. It says, he says, see my hands and my feet that it is I myself touch me and see for spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And he showed his hands and his feet and they disbelieved for joy and were marveling at what he said. And then he said, have you anything to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate before them. That to me, this doesn't have anything to do with the sermon other than I laugh every time I read that because they're in disbelief after what's going on. And he says, can I have something to eat? And then it says they're all sitting there watching him. You can just see them with their mouths hanging open as Jesus is just eating. Hey, I'm here and I'm eating now. But I want us to think about just bodily that Jesus comes and he says, see my hands and my feet and I'm, I'm, I'm real and I'm not a spirit and I'm here and I'm in this world and I'm come back to life. And what that means that he comes into and, and he's, he's regenerating and he's renewing and he's remaking right now. And as we become a Christian and we get God's spirit, there's renewal and, and regeneration and things happening inside of you in this world right now. So don't sit around and wait and say, well, nothing good can happen. You get to work and you start to go forth. And, you know, what it says here in, a, in, Luke's, in Luke's gospel, he says... In verse 36, and Jesus himself stood among them and said, peace to you. Well, in John's gospel, it tells us that he said, peace to you. And then he said, now as the father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. Right. John fills that in with us. And I want us to think about what that means. And we're going to end with that as Jesus went forth and everywhere he went. What we've looked at the last few weeks in the gospel, he proclaimed the gospel and he told them what it means. And he talked about forgiveness of sins. But all along the way, he was meeting their needs. He was helping with physical needs. He was helping with feeding people. He was helping with all these other things. And so to be sent as Jesus is sent, as we proclaim the gospel clearly and boldly the best we can. But we also look to meet any and all needs because God cares about his creation. And when he is resurrecting us and when we get to the future resurrection, it's going to be in bodies It's not going to be spirits that float away to the sky, resurrects the whole thing. And so as such, we're to be going forth and looking for any and all ways to meet needs all along the way, speaking boldly what Christ has done for us. And so as we think about that, I'm just going to leave you with 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15 is one of the most Uh, Just wonderful passages and it's so encouraging and exciting to think about because Paul talks about what our resurrected bodies will be like. And he goes into this whole thing and he talks about how 
we're going to go from mortal to immortal, from perishing to imperishable. That's what he says. And he just goes through all these things and he's saying that and he's telling this this beautiful picture of what it means that Jesus is raised and it's going to be new life and new things. And when we read elsewhere in scripture, Christ is going to return. It's going to be new heavens and new earth and brand new bodies and all his creations redeemed and all these things. And so Paul gets to the very end of 1 Corinthians 15 and he says in verse 56, the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Right. And so he says all this about renewed bodies and renewed things. And you have victory and all these wonderful things. And then he ends in verse 58 with this. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. And so as Jesus sends us out and as Paul so clearly says there in first Corinthians, any and all things that we do that point to God's future uh, regeneration of this earth, all that he's going to do will not be in vain. It'll be swept up in the work when he returns and it won't be wasted. And so I simply say that to say, as we leave today, let's get to work. Let's proclaim the kingdom and be excited about what God's going to do and look for ways to reveal it in everyday life and in everything we do. Because that's what's coming. And Paul says it's not going to be wasted. You're never going to look back and think, man, I wish I would have helped less people. It's just not going to happen. And it's all going to be swept up and it's going to be so made that much greater when he comes and will be so thankful that we were doing that and we were about his work and those things. So just end with that, that that would be our heart as we go forth. So let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for all the many, many things that your resurrection means for us. We're overwhelmed by it as we just scratch the surface today, as we we do an overview and a quick we could spend months and years on just contemplating what it means that you've defeated death and you've restored our relationship in Christ with you. And we thank you for that. We pray that we would be faithful uh, heralds of your gospel in any and all things that we would seek to to follow you and to spread your fame and to spread your name in, in all places. And we thank you for all you've done for us. And we pray it in Jesus' precious name. Amen.